0: Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, everybody in between. This is Feature This, a fan edit podcast. And we are getting this show on the road. It's not just me this time. Bringing back another guest that we had just recently. Uh, Rory, the cuddly ninja, a.k.a. the cuddly ninja, is with us. We're going to be talking about Pan's Labyrinth, uh, a horrible film. <laughs> 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 we're going to dissect it and rip it apart and then tell Guillermo del Toro how uh, how to make a real movie. Uh uh, obviously, if you can't hear the sarcasm, uh, it should be clearly evident that is not the case. Rory, are you there?
1: Hear loud and clear, so uh, How are you oh, doing?
0: I'm doing okay. How you? How are you doing?
1: i uh, very well. Uh, you know, other than just watching this garbage movie, just oh. it's, <laughs> it's a masterpiece.
0: Oh, I thought you were talking about Transformers there, but no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Why would I ever watch that? Even the uncanny Ant Man edit was fine and I could watch it once.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, so our attention this week is uh we we'll bring it, first off, let's um you know, bring Rory back. Uh Rory is a fan editor. If if, if y'all didn't catch uh, uh our latest episode, he'd um uh, we talked to last time about his fan edit of Insidious. Um kind of prompting that was something that we I don't think we really did really spend a whole lot of time on, but you had just come out with another fan edit of the sequel of insidious that you've titled the bride in black
1: yes and uh i, I probably have to finish the trilogy at some point
0: now. absolutely yeah so uh and i'm sure we've been one. i haven't seen that one yet when we get to that uh uh in due time but uh between now and then um i'm bringing rory back we're gonna kind of look at projects that he and i are both kind of interested in and and uh, delve deep, and uh, so today is Pan's Labyrinth. Um, Pan's Labyrinth is, uh, is, is is an interesting kind of movie to be talking about in a fan-edit-like setting because most of the movies that we do talk about here are movies that, ah, they need a nip and a tuck, they wish this was changed and kind of fix this, fix that, get rid of that voiceover, maybe change a little bit of this audio, that kind of thing. Um, Pan's Labyrinth really isn't that kind of movie. It, uh, it's pretty universally... Regarded as a, a excellent or great film, and when you watch it there 's that fan edit eye that we have to kind of look and see what we, what we can do with it, it doesn 't really get triggered all that much it 's just a really really good movie and uh, so bringing the bringing the discussion to pan 's labyrinth is a little unique in in this regard, um, but we are going to be tackling an edit of of uh, pan edit, uh, excuse me an edit of pan 's labyrinth, but not one that is steeped in trying to fix the film, but one that is sort of, in some sense, presenting the material in a in a different way. Um, but let's uh, let's talk about Pan's Labyrinth first. Um, what is uh, I mean? I could talk about my you know experience with the movie, but I'm curious. It's, you know, your what's your take on it? Did you see it in the theaters? Or what was your impression of this movie?
1: Uh, I did not see it in the theaters, but I did have a good reason. I was deployed overseas at the time. <laughs> um, and I only bring that up casually also because I think my military experience is a little relevant to a lot of stuff I took from the captain Vidal part, but so my my best friend uh was probably two years later because even though it was a really great movie you know it it once i got you know it's six months later it's not like a bunch of twenty you know twenty two year olds or whatever we're really talking about it except for my one friend who's Not even the biggest cinephile, but he's into some of the coolest, weirdest shit. And one night he just, you know, he had the Blu-ray. Or, oh shit, DVD actually.
2: Yeah, back then,
3: right?
1: (laughs) Yeah. And he was like, and I was like, what's this? He's like, you haven't seen it? All right, fuck you. Sit down. You ain't going anywhere for two hours.
3: And Mm -hmm. he was
1: right on the money. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I fell in love with it. At that time, I don't think I'd seen another gear. Which is hmm. a little embarrassing, but obviously mm-hmm. I remedy that in the immediate future. I'm trying to remember because what's uh, like maybe he was super into Hellboy, so I, I definitely saw you know one, one then the other. But I think Pan's Labyrinth was the first, and I was just like, holy shit! Like this, I don't think I'd see, you know fairy tale and I you know since dug into it, but I was like, I don't you know fairy tales are this is not what Disney does. This is <laughs> this is way
0: better. I way know. More interesting. It is, and it's it's this weird sort of polarize. Uh, not I don't know, polarizing is the right word, but it's uh it's a, uh, it's this, uh, it's such a contrast because your brain is. We're, we're all sort of conditioned to you know, if we see a young girl on the screen who's the protagonist, and there's fairy tale like things going on, that we're we're conditioned. Okay, this is a PG movie. At, w- at some point, there's going to be some song and dancing, and a squirrel is going to help with the laundry or something, and uh, this. <laughs> this movie just goes jumps into the deep end with all of the really dark macabre uh aspects of the grim like uh the grim tales um that we never really got to see in movies yeah and i I also think
1: it's it's worth noting that that you know it's not just more interesting because it's darker or deeper or anything i think it's actually more useful you know if this were a disney movie ophelia would learn from her mistake on the grapes and learn to you know respect authority and be a good listener hmm. which i think is like a relatively terrible message to send to kids this movie hmm. maybe literally does the opposite of that so mm-hmm. you know it's not just cooler because it's more adult i think it's actually thematically a better moral for kids although kids shouldn't watch this but you know
0: maybe
2: when you're 13
0: <laughs> and that's like that's the real uh that's the real conundrum here because in some sense it is a movie about a child's experience, but it's not a movie for children. It's for adults kind of recalling maybe uh, their childlike experience. But I don't even know if that's, that's part and parcel of what's going on here, but I don't know if I would say that that's the core message of this movie. Um, before we kind of dig deep and try to unpeel some of the onion layers here, um, just to kind of quickly talk about you know, this, the setting and the premise of this thing to get a kind of foundation, um, the movie's set in 1944. Um, I think it precedes or is about. It, uh, I think it precedes the uh, actual D-Day invasion. I think there's some dialogue talking about the invasion having had just occurred or about to occur. Um, and we are in uh, Spain. Uh, I believe the fascist uh, dictatorship of Franco Spain has moved into this particular territory, and we're, the setting of this film is sort of this mountainous uh, camp that's deep in this territory that is controlled by um a uh, a fascist a, a group of military leaders and a small rebel group that is kind of on the outskirts of the of the uh of the town looking to um uh looking to oust get them out out, out them of this area
1: they have the audacity to think that
0: fascism is bad oh my gosh right right but uh but parallel to that is a completely different story of a little girl who's brought into this world and who um has these either you know delusions or imaginational uh experiences with a, a fairy tale like land where she is um uh where the the premise of which is that there is an old uh, a long an old story of a princess uh who um would go through multiple tasks in order to achieve immortality to go back to be able to visit with her father or something to that effect and um so we have these two narratives the story of the uh, the actual command the, the the captain and the the drama with the uh, the rebels and then ophelia the little girl her story and uh her interaction with the, um, the imaginary world uh, in which there is literally a, a labyrinth, <laughs> a literally and figuratively a labyrinth of which for her to enter into. But no Pan. Yeah, that was a, uh, you know, I had seen this movie uh, back, I, I think I may have missed it in the theater. I saw it on, um, uh, I think it would just had come out to a DVD at the time. And um, I just assumed that the Fawn's name was Pan and because uh, there is a scene early in the picture where he's introduced and she asks him what's your name and he never gives his name, is I've had so many names, etc. And for whatever reason, I just assumed it was Pan. I don't know if that's necessarily true. It's a great assumption.
1: It's one I made for a long time, and it wasn't until like a couple of years later, I think somebody said something, and I looked up like Pan is actually like a it existing thing that's well known and that's not the fawn. And then, uh, then you watch it again, and you're like, oh yeah, well. If his name was Pan, then in Spanish it would be, like, El Labyrintho del Pano. <laughs> but it's not. It's Delphano.
2: And like, yeah. please
1: excuse my Spanish. Anybody speaks the language.
2: <laughs> I, you get the point,
0: though. Yeah, if you if you read the the Spanish subtitles, El Labyrintho del Fano, and you kind of, like, you know put some brain cells on it, you're like, well, it looks like it should be called Labyrinth of the Fawn. And...
1: Sometimes movie studios are stupid, and I think this is a case where they're like, well, if we add... A name that exists, it will be more recognizable. Which is stupid because nobody I know really knew who Pan was.
0: (laughs) I still don't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I I still, in back of my head, the the Fawn's name is Pan, (laughs) because I think of, I think of the word reasonable. Yeah, (laughs) I still think of like the the word Pan is like all encompassing. Like you have a a panspermia or a pan. uh, well, pandemic like it, it kind of crosses borders, and I just figure, oh well, that's kind of an interesting, you know, prefix of a word to use for a name of a character who's been everywhere and has many names, etc etc So that was my take on that particular part. But watching the when the title screen came up, and I, I my brain did kind of turn over and go, eh, I think it should have been called Labyrinth of the Fawn. Um, <clears throat> so there's so so what we so that's kind of the 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 broad strokes you know the rebel group and Ophelia and her um and her going through the the, the imagining the imagination all um fictitious fairy tale like stuff um but this movie that's what it is but that's not what it's about um the the uh, the metaphors and the imagery and the message of the movie is much more is much deeper it's it's a un- little under the surface and um, the film uh, does not, it's not one of these movies where people, you know, where you can say the film doesn't have these metaphors working. Um, but it—it—it—it it, it, it is, it, they are, they, there, there, there does seem to be a little bit of a projection where people sort of project their own meaning into it. I've heard multiple people talk about what they think Pan's Labyrinth is about. And part of me is going, yeah, you're, you're, you're almost right. You just, you don't quite get it. <laughs> And I have a sense. I have a sense that I think everybody may think that way when when talking with somebody else um, about what they think this movie really is about. Um, to to put it, you know, to put my my feeling about it is that uh, um, this movie, in in some senses, it's it's r- what it's ultimately about is sort of what the uh one of the casualties of war is um is the innocence of children and the the how a child like uh viewpoint sort of sees and experiences war different from how an adult sees or experiences it and the the machinations of having uh telling the story through ophelia's uh telling her the point of telling her story is to bring that sort of perspective into the conflict um there are other things that are that's i think stem off of that whether it's you know do you listen to your parents do you listen to authority figures what does the what does obedience mean um good or bad um, but I think the 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 fact that the 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 childlike part of it is what contrasts this from other war movies that could probably s- tell the same messages um, that this one is is uniquely equipped to do. Yeah, and, and I like how they tie the two together. More
1: to your point, you know, such as the two drops of medicine, the two drops of blood on the the thing. So they, I, I do like how they they bring the two together. And I think you're right, and i think that people aren't wrong you know if someone wants to tell me that to me this film is more about you know womanhood okay and if someone say this is an obedience tale or if you want to say this is about contrasting you know viewpoints on war all those things are true then and and some of them will emotionally resonate with others more you know i mm-hmm. mean for example I, when i watched this movie and i was whatever 22 years old I, I missed the 10 million vaginas in the movie. <laughs> and so to me, it, it was like a total disobedience tale. And then as I got, you know, it was I got older, it was like, oh, yeah, okay, wow. that's None of that is is unintentional. But I bring this up because all those people are right because Guillermo del Toro purposely put all those things in there. I, I do hate, and this is a great movie to, to, to sort of jump off on this, I do hate when people think that that movies just throw stuff up there and then it's up to anybody to interpret. I mean, it is, that's art, but like, you know, so someone tells me David Lynch movies are a bunch of random things. It's like, well, you can like it or not like it, but it's not. It's very intentional, very thematic, and it might not be for you. You might not care enough to unpack it, but mm-hmm. f- filmmakers intend so many things, and I feel like there's a little bit of a tendency to say, well, well, this is what I, you know, anybody can take anything out of it, so none of us are right or wrong, and it's like, well... Mm-hmm if my interpretation is based on textual things in the film and yours is just based on a, a random Reddit theory, like you're wrong <laughs> and I'm right, probably. <laughs> so anyway, I think, I think you're right. And I think, I think it's about that. The The disobedience thing very much resonated with me. The, the themes about war and, you know, let me know if we want to take our
2: time and not just jump all over the place here, but yeah, that, would, that resonated with it. me more than anything.
0: Yeah, I've actually. I, I You know, you you probably bring something a little unique to this conversation that you know two film nerds in Austin sitting around at a coffee shop probably can't do. So, um, what is uh, what was your? You know, you mentioned that your take on Vidal was probably a little more personal than what somebody else would take. What, what was your What was your experience with that character?
1: So it would have been very easy just to make him evil personified, like he's just a bad guy and he is a bad guy, but the the film very carefully sets up that he's not happy with himself. He's not particularly happy with what he's doing. He doesn't like you know, being sadistic if the per other person isn't an enemy. And I think it all stems, I mean, all the stuff about his father and the time, like to me, it sort of shows this is what happens when somebody is trying to live up to war heroism and there's no war. There's just some poorly armed rebels. Hmm. And so all all he can do is is sadistically torture them, be, and it's half out of I think frustration that he he can't do what his dad did. He'll never have the hero's death. I mean, the hmm. hero's death is a is a very big thing. And like I I personally, I served in the Marines. I served in the infantry, and I went to the Middle East a couple times. So I I've seen this
3: up close. Hmm.
1: Sometimes people you want to be a hero. You join to be a hero, and if there's hmm. nothing heroic to do do other shit and some of it's not good hmm. so that that's sort of my biggest takeaway was that he was trying to live up to something and he couldn't and that's why i think he shut the guy down in the dinner scene it was like nope not true when like clearly that story is 100 percent true
0: yeah
3: and so almost
1: th- pointed out to him that you're sitting here at this outpost and your dad died the bravest death of anybody i know and he didn't want to confront that
0: that's that's a that's an interesting perspective. I don't think I I I would have brought to that only because you know that's not my you know that's not something I would naturally bring to that, uh, um, that character because you do get a sense that he is just uh, you, to me he is like ninety eight percent evil personified and a little two percent like well there's somewhere there's a human character in there. Um, <laughs> Let let's be clear that I'm not emphasizing with fascist. <laughs> I'm just digging into the character. No, I, I, yeah, no. I obviously I don't think that you think he's a he's really a good <laughs> guy if you just get to know him. <laughs> yes, um, and, and and
1: it's I think that uh, there's also a little bit of an attitude here that is is really prevalent where a, a lot of people who join and especially being in the Marine Corps uh, infantry, I was around a ton of alpha male dudes, mm-hmm. which you know you've talked to me at least a couple hours now. I it, it wasn't it didn't exactly fit in, but I was mm-hmm. fascinated by it, mm-hmm. but. What they what they care about most is what Vidal cares about most, hmm. which is pride. Hmm. You'll notice Vidal doesn't say like I'm going to kill these rebels because they dare oppose the wonderfulness that is.
0: Uh, Franco Spain. Yeah.
1: What he says is they're laughing at me. They're laughing at us. They're hmm. laughing at us. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a narcissistic pride, and it's honestly I what I when I, when I saw it I was like this is this is Donald Trump. Hmm. He, he never says, I want to kill ISIS because they're against freedom. He says, they're laughing at us. They're mocking us. It's it's insecure narcissism projected. And when the captain said that, I was like, oh, that is what it's all about for you. And, you know, obviously the military stuff rang uh, resonated with me a lot. But, yeah, it mm-hmm. took a lot out of that character. And, again, mm-hmm. I think he's a terrible fucking guy. <laughs>
3: Let's yeah. make that clear. No, it's, I don't. it's interesting to unpack this because I think it does speak
1: to some of the uglier side of, of – of war and heroism as a whole
3: hmm. There the, the
0: theme of uh, of obedience and disobedience is obviously you know permeates this movie um, and I think that whenever filmmakers or commentators or anybody who kind of looks back particularly in the World War II era uh, everybody has to ask themselves that question how did this happen and the the a lot of a lot that a lot of times the answer to that question will follows up with another question with how how are people like know how did normal acclimated civil people end up doing all of the atrocities that were involved in that um, episode of history and uh, this the answer seems to be some somewhere centered or focused around the principle or concept of obedience i was doing it because i was told to or it was my job and everybody else was doing it and i had a boss and and it was it was my job and so that's why i did it and like the nazis exactly and and there's this there's there's a real disconnect between Um, one's actions and one's responsibilities for those actions when it's being dictated or ordered by um, somebody else. Um, Vidal, in some sense, stands over that. It doesn't seem like he's following orders. Um, And so he is the perpetrator of these orders. And uh, what we don't get, if, if we do get it, but it's ever so slight and ever so brief about whether any of his Actual uh, military subordinates challenge him. Uh, there's like one moment where one of his higher ups seems to be a little um, uneasy about, you know, shooting the uh, the the fallen rebels in the forest, but yeah. no nobody even broaches uh, the obedient component to that, um, which is interesting because all of the characters who do do any kind of challenging uh, uh, to him. Uh, end up being, well, dead before the movie's over. I think I think Mercedes lives. Now that I think about it.
2: Um, yeah, so she does. But yeah, yeah. Almost, so, almost not.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. She would she would have been killed. Um, but that's but then when we talk about okay so uh, obedience is a, is that the spine of this movie and everything is kind of centered around that i don't think so um because you could tell the same kind of message of obedience without having the uh the ophelia storyline um, you could tell the same message of obedience, setting it in a completely different setting. Even in World War II, in a completely different setting, you could have the message of uh, of how obedience and disobedience played out in all of its ramifications. Um,
1: well, I'm I'm, I'm going to start to cut in. I'm going to have to disagree with you. You can, that's true, but it's not just general obedience. I I think it's very specifically female to male ob- obedience. I mean, not in the war stuff, but with the Ophelia stuff. I mean, that you need a girl because that's, to me, that's it's a, it's about her t- listening obedience to men, which is something that we sort of societally pounded in women since the dawn of time.
3: Hmm.
1: So I think it would be a very interesting movie without it. And in fact, I don't know if you quite mentioned this, but the edits we'll be watching split it into two: one fantasy movie and one real-world movie. So be interested when we come back to see what you think about how that worked for you in, in the sense that you're talking now
0: yes and in fact uh, that's kind of where I'm going with uh, my commentary on here is um, to suggest that um, you know at what where you know when we when we talk about the fantasy storyline of this film versus the real quote story of the movie um, how strongly those really tie together um, there's it obviously does but is it is it interlaced or is it just a few strands and i'm really curious um this movie that we 're watch uh, this fan edit that we're going to watch is called two exits from La- from pan's labyrinth i think i think that's the name of it and it's uh sort of it's a, it's a double feature it 's two movies uh, one is the edited version of the, the real story. And one of them is the edited version of, uh, Ophelia and her story in the labyrinth and, um, looking at them as individual, um, individual pieces. And I'm really curious, uh, whether or not eat whether or not one of them really can stand on its own without the other. Um, there's a part of me that is kind of thinking it can't, Um, But then there's another part of me that's thinking, I'm sure it can. And so I'm intrigued by this edit simply because of that that concept. Um, I'm also interested in this idea of these two stories and how one helps the other and feeds information to the other. um, Because having one of the interesting things about editing and in, in, in storytelling especially in f- in film is that when you put two things next to each other all of a sudden it creates a continuity of thought and it creates this is the metaphor that we're going for here and ties things together that doesn't necessarily happen when you get them separated and and i'm wondering if uh if having these two separated if they still if those metaphors still feel uh rich because i i it's going to be a really interesting exercise. Yeah,
1: you're wondering how powerful the juxtaposition is or how critical of a component that is basically.
0: Yeah, and uh and, and I'm I'm thinking now my I, I think I may have mentioned it uh in a previous podcast. My favorite uh, fan edit that's I've watched is an edit by NJSC, NJSC I think his name is. VC. Uh, VC, NJVC, who did um uh where the wild things are. And, <sighs> And yeah, where the wild things are is this movie that starts off um, the first 10 or 15 minutes or so is kind of set in the real world with this young boy and experiencing some troubles in the family. And then the rest of the movie, the hour and change of the movie is him in this fantasy land of, of with all the monsters. Um, but there are parallels between the fantasy land uh, material and the real world material. But the theatrical cut has all the real world material bottled up at the front, front loaded, and then the fantasy stuff sort of, you know, taking up, you know, the last, you know, two thirds of the movie. Um, but what uh, NJVC did is he he edited and took the family material and inserted it in between the um, the the fantasy material so that you could clearly clearly see the parallels between this little boy and how he's experiencing the world and how he's uh in his family life and how it's coming out in the fantasy world and um those ties are not there no they're there in the original one but they're so much harder to to perceive but as in his edit they all just come to life and um I remember thinking actually, when I first watched that movie, I was like, "Yeah, they should probably recut this and put these things next to it, so you can kind of see I had like a brief thought about that, and then like I was, like i don 't know, a, a week later, I found the edit, and I was like, What? Uh, <laughs> he
1: did it and did it well
2: <laughs> he did
0: it and he did it way better than I ever could have, so like, oh, I guess I could take that off the queue um, but but that's that 's the point is uh, is taking two completely different stories and then putting them together so that they support one another and create. Uh, the, each one is better for having been set next to the other. Uh, I have a feeling that's what we're going to see. But the 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 experiment is to see how well they survive on their own. And by virtue, if it is a lesser experience, that that is sort of like this weird sort of quantifiable thing that gets uh, that gets created when you put those two together. Uh,
1: yeah, and also I, I just as a as a note, I, his and JVC's musical changes on that edit vastly improved that movie I, mean, <laughs> I, went, I went from being like a, a decent movie that I liked
2: to his edit I love So,
0: yeah it's one of the few movies fan edits that I've seen that takes an 8 and makes it a 10 we don't get a whole lot of those kind of conversions <laughs> no
1: a lot, lot more 3 to 5 and a half's, <laughs> 4 to 7's <seven's. laughs> It's so or funny. like a, or like a ten to a different kind of eight. Yeah,
0: it's <laughs> <You know? laughs> so. Uh, I, I listened to this interview with, uh, I think it was Harmy, the guy who did all of the de- de- despecialized versions of Star Wars, and uh, the edit. Uh, the interviewer asked him, like, "So are you are you really into the whole fan edit world? Do you watch all that stuff?" And you could see him sort of like being uh, Harmy's being really diplomatic in his answer, and he says, "No, you know." my issue with uh with those movies is that most of them you know they take really bad movies and try to make them better so you end up with a pretty good really bad movie (laughs) (laughs) i was like that is that is that is unfortunately accurate in too many of the times (laughs) It,
1: it is now let's let's also give some credit there's some really interesting mixes you know i Fan, the fan mixes probably interest me more than anything because mm. fan fixes it's rare to like like you said to dig an eight to a 10 but mixes can be really interesting I mean obviously you know I'm a fan of rescores I pretty yeah. much can't stop doing them mm-hmm. but I, I I just I find altered experiences are cool mm-hmm,
3: mm-hmm. and there are a
1: lot of those too and a lot of really good ones so yeah. but but also harmy's not a fan editor he's right he's a, a damn good is. video editor who's mm-hmm. trying to create what existed already. And I don't mean that as a slight. I just mean like that's not he's not doing what most of us are doing, and true. That's fine.
0: Yeah, I take his credit. I take his uh, criticism though to heart because uh, I, I, you know, we do. Sp- I do spend a lot of time watching these versions, and I'm like, well, it, it's it's better. It's better, but it's not the ten that we all secretly hope it would was going to be when we first started the project. Um, I wanted to ask you one of the things that uh, I pointed you to before watching this. Uh, and it was a uh, another podcast of another show, um, the Canon, in which uh, these two LA film critics, um, Gavin Faraci, and I forget the other girl's name, and uh, it's them discussing movies, and they sort of decide and are debate over which film should or shouldn't be in the canon of great movies, and people vote on it, and it's an interesting kind of format to for people to talk uh, to get down and dirty with movies, and they did an episode on Pan's Labyrinth. Um, talking a lot about some of the visual stuff that we've we've talked about and touched on here. Um, you sent me a text after having witnessed it or watched, the, listened to the episode, saying that there was something about those, you know, entertaining but also very frustrating. And I, <laughs> yeah, and I was which, which, I,
2: which I think the host felt as well.
0: <laughs> okay, so what? Where was your what was your take on what was the frustrating part of that was?
1: Well, so that was the first Canon podcast I'd listened to. Which is mm-hmm. weird, because I'm into a ton of stuff on Wolf Pop. Uh, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed their back and forth. Like, I, I really enjoy when people don't just sort of agree on stuff all the time.
2: Mm-hmm. I disagree. So I, <laughs> <laughs> well, then this one is good. Um,
1: so I listened to, uh, to a, a, a few more. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, I think my criticisms of what she said in that podcast, I don't think are generally indicative of... The way she criticizes, because I listened to a few other ones, and she was, she was very smart. I think, I think what happened is this movie just didn't get her viscerally, mm-hmm. and so she nitpicked stuff to death that had nothing to do with anything. Well, well okay, uh... that, that that's strong, but but if it doesn't work for you, then our brain sort of goes and wonders why, and especially a movie that everyone loves. It sounds like you know because everyone loved it. You definitely, if you think a movie's okay and everyone Mm -hmm. thinks it's the greatest thing ever, like after Mm -hmm. two years, you'll just think it sucks because you're so sick of like, like you you know what I mean? You're arguing against it so much. And I just felt like it didn't work for her. And she, and and instead of sort of getting into why it didn't work for her, she sort of just delved into all these nits, which I don't think is why it didn't work for her.
0: And Uh, and, her
1: And that was very frustrating for the other host who was making these broad thematic points, and then,
2: you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, she... I get your point. She she spent 15 minutes on, you know, Orphelia eating the grape and how that almost ruined the movie. And yes, which
1: it, it's like the critical point of the movie, almost a very critical point in the
0: movie. And see, yeah. that's what I, I, I have to side with her in that sense, in and in a little bit in that sense that I think that, Ophelia eating the grape—you know—symbolically and metaphorically and character-wise, all of that makes sense. It needs to happen. It should happen. I do think the scene was shot incorrectly, um, and, and what I mean is, in what way? Well, the what when I watched it, I, I did have the same kind of uh, instinctual reaction, thinking this is this doesn't feel right. Like this doesn't feel like it's in her character to do this. Um, and I think the reason you think that is because uh, the the way the camera is set up, it's it's close on her, but you can see the pale man in the background. And I think what the, del Toro was really looking for is that creepy, creepy moment of this idea that she's kind of just sitting there oblivious to what's going on behind her, and we're the ones who are experiencing, oh my gosh, you have to watch out, it's coming at you, it's alive, etc., etc. Cetera, et cetera. Um, but I think that that idea the order for that to work the character all of a sudden has to be really really oblivious and you know put her back to him and eat and not listen to the fairies and not be alarmed and i think a a a better way of approaching that scene was for her to be to walk through and be you know acknowledge that she's hungry so we kind of get that that's part of the equation um and then, like, kind of look around and sneakily, and maybe sneak the grape in, and and uh, and 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 just be be a little less oblivious of her surrounding. Um, and I think that that was sacrificed in order to create that that illusion of the that visual of of him coming alive in the background. Um, yeah, I, that is
1: a fair that is a fair point. Um, I guess if the fairies weren't there, I think it would work perfectly for me because I'm okay with her not being sneaky because the things eyeballs are on a plate. Mhm. And like I'm I'm okay with her ignoring or forgetting what the phone said earlier because she's inside of all this food because this film definitely does set up that nobody's eaten, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody's eating well. But the fact that the fairies were like, "Dude, dude, dude do not <laughs> fucking do this. Do not do this." And she yeah. waved them away. I felt like the disobedience was in the act and and yes, that that probably, probably would have worked perfectly for me if they had just done that little change. But yeah. but for me, thematically, it still serves its purpose well. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, when movies are good, you sort of... Like, it's dumb that she can just draw a chalk thing on the ceiling or else mm-hmm. like who cares about the, 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 the time in the first mm-hmm. place mm-hmm. and why can she not draw it again on that wall that she came in but she can three feet on the ceiling. Uh-huh. But when something's sort of working and it's speaking to the themes it's, or it's resonating for you you sort of you know you sort of don't think about that until mm-hmm. after the fact mm-hmm. um, but all those things are true and i still love the scene
0: yeah <laughs> uh yeah the the man the makeup work on him and the character and him coming alive uh it's it is it is just fantastic yeah, the sound when the fingers crack is so good. Oh yeah, Cause like but to, yeah. Me,
1: but to me, she should have turned and looked at that point because it's yeah. clear it's clearly loud, and it's like well, that's a wonderful sound, but mm-hmm. you know, it, it like probably the third or fourth time I watched it, I was like, wait, why didn't she
2: hear that? Yeah, <laughs> it's and that would have, loud.
0: That would have been an interesting effect. Like she turns around and looks, and she doesn't see anything. Like it's just the fingers cracking, and so she's still sort of uh you know believing that she's safe um but yeah so i, I think that that how it, that uh, that's executed uh, could be massaged a but that's what that's what I was, that was interesting about that particular point of contention on the uh f- with those two critics is that i was listening to her talk and she had so many problems with that scene and i'm like but that's not that's not the problem with the scene like that's how my brain was going was like you're you're right that there's something off with it but you're wrong about what is off with it
1: yeah, which is why I'd say you don't side with her, because at no point did she thematically not like it. She just couldn't accept that the character would do that.
0: Yeah, and, yeah.
1: And that's that's the sort of thing where, you know, that's that's a fine opinion to have. I just, I
3: don't know. Mm-hmm.
1: I, I think the biggest thing that bugged me was he pulled text, you know, from the text,
2: things yeah. in the movies yeah, to yeah, make yeah. points,
1: and she was like, you're just projecting this. And it's like, no, 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 no. The stuff yeah. Devin's saying is... is, is Clear. I mean, the rat. Like, she was like, "You're just reading into it that she's hungry," and it's like, "Well, why did they spend five minutes talking about Talk ration about cards for the food, rich yes. people, like, etc., yeah. etc.?" Et yeah. And which is fine, but I think because it didn't work for her viscerally, she yeah. didn't accept because he explained the context, which is fine to be like, "You're reading into it," and he's like, "No, I'm actually reading this, this, and this." this, and this she yeah. should have said at that point, "That's a fair reading." It just didn't
2: work for me.
0: Hmm. Um. You know, you mentioned earlier, and uh and it was obviously discussed in their podcast too. Uh, one of the 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 things that is there, but for whatever reason, doesn't really connect or mean much for me, is the um, is what you you were talking about, like uh, all of the the, the vaginal um, uh, metaphors and visual cues. Um, and and Gavin was talking about that. Uh, De- is it Devin or Gavin? I can't remember. I think Devin. It, it's it's Devin and, Devin, and Amy. Yeah. Devin. Yeah. Devin and, Devin and Amy. Amy. That's right. They, for rock. Farachi. Farachi, yeah, yeah I don't I don't remember like her that. name. Yeah, Amy. Um Uh but Nicholson, for whatever
1: Nicholson, sorry, just pulled it up. Let's give her credit yeah, since yes, we yes, her criticism yes. a fair amount.
0: Fair enough. Um like for example, uh, Devin was saying that it's so clear, it's so obvious that the giant tree that she walks into is a it's just a giant vaginal orifice that she's walking into. And when I watched it I was like, No, it it it's got the horns like the fawn it's it it just looks like the fun, and uh i i there's sometimes like whenever uh I, maybe you know maybe the uh director was trying to do both um but to be so sure it's one thing when it looks like when, when i personally see it as something else uh that uh, that's less uh, metaphorical inten- metaphorically intense i feel like that's the more rational like a little occam's razor kind of test um, and yeah. But, well,
1: uh I, I guess what I would say is that I think it's completely not unintentional that he used a fawn for this story for that reason. Hmm. I mean, I, I sometimes get accused of giving filmmakers too much credit, but I mm-hmm. often think that most everybody doesn't give them enough credit. Hmm. You know, like, oh yeah, Spielberg never once realized that the T-Rex coming out of that thing makes no sense. Of course he did. He doesn't care. It works emotionally. And Guillermo del Toro is... Very good at, at visual metaphors, and I don't think it's an accident. I would say that when I when I watch it, when she goes into the tree, I mean, it definitely I, it it looks like a vagina, but the ovaries part isn't clear, which makes means it could just be a, a number of different things. Mm-hmm. But when at the end of the film, when they're sort of recounting her tasks, they show the tree in a wide shot,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and to me, it's very ovarian because the ho- ho- horns would be much lower Hmm. but i didn't get that sense in the actual scene itself as much but when i saw it later i was like yes that's sort of unmistakably the shape we saw the blood on the page Mm.
3: you know etc
1: so but that's and that's fine and maybe he just likes pan and goats or whatever but Mm i I feel like especially with a guy like gero del toro i'm I'm always here on the side that it was not unintended or that it was not intentional
0: Never yeah yeah um yeah so this is a uh, uh, pan's labyrinth is a uh, is a compelling uh it's a compelling fairy tale it's dark it's got uh you know we didn't even really scratch the surface on a lot of the uh, really rich thematic stuff um you know between the characters and we didn't talk about the doctor character we didn't uh, talk the about doctor
2: and mercedes are probably the best two characters
0: in the uh, yeah <laughs> and uh the the rebels the guy who stutters um the uh just it's a it's just it's a it's it's just a wonderful wonderful movie um but uh the you know but there are like you know we talked about uh, the wolf pop podcast and i'm sure that, you know there's other great sources to learn to kind of really dig deep into all visual stuff at there but what we're going to be bringing to the table is sort of what we uh, the fan editing side of this perspective and um so we're going to go watch the, uh, the fan edit of uh, Pan's Labyrinth, the two exits from Pan's Labyrinth. Come back and share uh, what, what, we, what we learned about that and how that, wh- how that reshapes um, what, what works and what doesn't uh, with uh, the original movie. So well, with that being said, we're going to take a, a break on our side, uh, get that done, and come back and uh, see you on the flip side. See you. All right.
3: See you in the future. The future. <laughs> future. <laughs>
0: And we are back. We just finished watching um, the fan edit of, or fan mix, I guess you could say, of uh, of Pan's Labyrinth. Here, um, the fan editor's name is it CBB or is it Boone23? Which one is it?
1: It's both, because C- it's CBB is created by Boone. I think it's it, it weirdly enough, because I didn't understand it and looked into it a long time ago. It started as like covers by Boone, and then. When he started doing edits, it became created by Boone, and I think it was multiple people, you know, sort of helping him out at some point. I don't know exactly, but okay. it's it's Boone. I, I I don't know. I I'm just crediting
2: Boone okay. 23.
0: Okay. <laughs> Short answer. All right. Well, uh, if you, so if you want to look up his stuff uh, I, on the internet, on the fan edit database, it's listed under CBB, but the end credits of, uh, of part one, at least, uh, specifically identifying as Boone 23. So whatever you need to Google to find him, uh, that's the information there for that. Um, so this is, uh, it, I, man, I, I it's kind of went into this a little bit blindly. And, uh, my experience of it, I think was, uh, I don't know if tarnished is the right word. Um, but, uh, this is an interesting project. So really what he's done here is, um, he's taken the, the two parts of this movie, like we kind of talked about the, 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 the base, the military base plot, and then the Ophelia plot, and then broken them apart into two different movies, um, And uh, so if you want to watch the, you know, the the military base plot of a guy who's kind of an evil asshole who gets overrun by uh, some insiders and a group of rebels, there's that movie you can put in and watch. Or if you want to watch the uh, the fairy tale with Ophelia, you can put in that movie and watch it. And I think that's the conceit of what he's going for here. Um, Agree? Disagree? You think that's kind of what's going on here?
1: Yeah, agreed, and I think the initial intention was to
0: make the fantasy
1: version, Mm -hmm. and I I think he said something along the lines of, you know, uh, I thought about including some of the other scenes on the disc, and then that led to, why don't I just make the sort of sister version of what I did, Mm -hmm. and that's how he ended up with what he ended up with. So I think his goal wasn't initially to separate it, it was to focus it on one, but I'm glad he did, because I... I actually enjoyed the Captain one much
0: more. How do you feel about the... Uh, um, let's, let's? It's presented with the Ophelia one first. Um, how do you feel about the, that standalone picture? What is that actually called? Ophelia Princes de las Profundidades or something like that?
2: That sounds, as, sounds right <laughs> that sounds to amazing. me. But,
1: but you heard my Spanish in the yeah. first part of the
0: podcast, so I'm not the best judge. Uh, well, if I'm the official arbiter there, I, I can assure you that we're doing something wrong. Uh, But the Ophelia storyline, what was your thoughts about that as an independent piece?
1: So, real quickly, broad strokes, um, I loved this edit. It was one of the first I ever watched, and I think... It speaks a little bit to how we view fan edits, or at least me, mm-hmm. which is when you first come on board, it's so cool to have alternate versions of stuff, like that's mm-hmm. a concept I didn't really know existed,
2: mm-hmm.
1: that I think, and you see, you see on the site, you know, new people are just really excited about everything, mm-hmm. and I don't think it's disingenuous, I think it's just you're so forgiving of many other things Mm. because it's a cool, it's an alternate experience. And the whole concept of that is fascinating. So that's my lead in to say that rewatching this with a a few, a few few more years and some editing experience myself. Mm -hmm. um, I had some issues with it that I didn't really think I had before. I also Mm. perhaps have personally gotten better. I think we briefly chatted about this uh of separating my knowledge of the source mm-hmm. from the edit because mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of edits sort of the narrative gets a little sliced and diced and yeah. it took me a while to to divorce myself from knowing exactly what's going on to being like does this make sense if i didn't
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, I, and i think the narrative of this one
0: doesn't really hang together that well i agree i agree um and we had talked about that in the first part of the first part of this episode about how you're going to rip these two storylines apart when much of what's in each storyline kind of is kind of attached to the other. And so in this uh, story here with Ophelia, when you rip it apart from the other narrative, there's a lot of scenes that sort of glue one to the other. And and, and so it, when you separate the two, there, there are these gaps that get left over.
1: Yeah, and I would have thought going in that, oh, what I'd really love to see is the fantasy version because it's some of my favorite stuff in the film. Right. But what I ended up with is that the, the real world grounds it all, and, and I think the real world one hung together pretty well,
2: and, and the, the fantasy
3: one really didn't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Um, when, I, I, when I first started, when I hit play and started watching um, all of this, I I didn't read up to find exactly what, you know, the original intent here was, you know, to actually have two completely different independent narratives. Um I as and as I was watching the the Ophelia version, I I saw these gaps. And uh, particularly as it leads up into the third act because in in the Ophelia version because you don't get a lot of the scenes with the captain, you don't really get a feel for how sadistic he is and so in the final moments when he um shoots her at the end it's almost like a surprise and um I wanted to have all of the fill-ins like that surprise element I wanted to I wanted to know where all that was coming from how did this how did he get to where the point where he's going to shoot her and so my idea was like oh man this is gonna be really interesting when the second part kicks in because what it's going to do is provide all of the context, which ultimately leads into what explains, if you will, the ending of the first movie.
1: Yes, yeah. It. it, it you watch the end and you think, who the fuck are these people? Why yeah. Is Mercedes, why is Mercedes with them? Right. We have. No, why is she bursting in with a bunch of soldiers? I mean, I think we can tell that they're rebels, but it's just like... Who are these people why, why is why is this guy important? <laughs> How the fuck did this happen sort
0: yeah <laughs> and see that 's what I was hoping. I was like oh this is, uh, this is my, as I was watching the affiliate version, I started to get really excited because i 'm like, wow, this this edit is creating these gaps, and it 's creating these moments of me going why, why, why and i 'm thinking, oh, part two is going to be this." Complementary movie experience that sort of explains it all and gives it all uh, context, but that's not Uh, what it was. You 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 thought they would—that would actually have been really clever to tie in together rather than to tie into separate parts of the film. Exactly right. So when part two started and we started to get a lot of material that repeats from part one, it's it's kind of interesting here. Um, The total runtime of this movie is about two hours. And um if you add up you know what, now I think about it, that's not true. Um I was gonna say something that's not true, so let me let me erase that statement, erase erase. Yeah, I uh, think each
1: edit each edit's about is an hour ten, right?
0: Hour yeah. Seven, hour, hour 10. Yeah, but um but there are duplicate scenes. Uh you, each edit both has the uh for example the starts off with the driving up uh on the road to the to the base. Uh, it's it's handled a little bit differently when Ophelia you know puts the stone in the eye and whether or not the uh, the the bug comes out in the obviously in the um, in the uh, Ophelia version it does because it's that's the trigger for um, you know that that story whereas in this one in the uh, in the Captain story it doesn't um,
1: right but there's still the shot it it it's a little strange to linger on the shot of the creature in the version where. Y- that's
0: not meaningful exactly exactly there's a there's see that's you're touching on what and perhaps maybe i'm seeing it now as an editor too is that if in your brain you're looking at that shot and going that shot is conveying a message that this movie is not trying to convey and so it begs the question why is it there and then now you're thinking something's missing and uh and the, this these edits, independent of one another, have too many of those moments,
1: yeah, Mercedes rolling up the knife in her apron, like why That's, but
2: yeah well
0: it's it 's a why if you if you don't anticipate that they 're going to explain it later because I, I was expecting here's how, oh my god I, I was yeah, like,
1: you're, you're right it turns into a why but yeah yeah
0: because yeah, yeah. like when you first see something like you trust the any movie that you watch as it starts to unfold and these things don't make sense there's a part of you that sort of trusts the storytellers that they're going to go back and give explanations and context to all these different things um, and when a movie doesn't do that you kind of look back and go why is that there this doesn't this doesn't explain anything and oh man that was a stupid reason because otherwise this should have happened instead of that and But in a film like this, where everything is explained in the original context, um, I was expecting in the fan edit version for that context we come back and 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 emerge it. I'm going to take a a tangent here for a a spell. Um, Movies that are not presented in a chronological order, even though they could be, um, to me there needs to be a reason why to, sh- why to present it in a non-chronological order because otherwise it's just a device, um, a, a tool to, you know, keep the audience engaged in sort of a false manner. Um, in a way that doesn't th- enhance thematically anything in the film. Well, or it just creates like, uh, you know, movies that are, you know, chopped up and, and shown unchronologically, it sort of gives this uh, intensity to it because your brain is kind of trying to figure out what's going on and so the, that little puzzle part of it uh, is, is fun to go through provided that the film earns it so like Memento for example is is shot or presented in a non-chronological order but the character himself experiences the world sort of in that non-chronological way um, so that makes sense uh, Pulp Fiction is is shot in, or filmed or presented in a non-chronological non-chrono- order well, that's because the thematic apex of the movie comes in the diner scene with uh, Sam Jackson and um, Tim Roth, and you can't, you can't front load that in the first 15 minutes of the movie, you yeah, know? a chronological
1: cut of that, which I
0: think exists and I've never yeah, seen, don't really neither. have interest in, seems me like neither. it just wouldn't work at all. Well, it would probably work from a narrative standpoint, meaning that the plot will go from A to B, but it's not going to work thematically. You're going to get your, you know, your, the, the the point of the movie, what it's about is, is in that scene, that confrontation scene. So I was thinking, um, as this movie was unfolding, I was like, man, it would be really interesting if when part two, when I see part two, if it starts to fill in these gaps in a non-chronological way, um, and then I was like, "Well, that's a stupid idea because there's no reason to think that this should be uh, presented chronolo- uh, unchronologically." And I was like, "Wait a second! Part of the thematic thing that you have at the end of the movie is that she lives forever. Um, that that's uh, part of living in eternity. Well, in the original part of living in eternity is dying nobly, um, <laughs> where like his the captain the captain's father has died nobly, so he's honored." When he dies, uh, his son will never even know his name, so he he does he actually gets a true death um, and Ophelia gets to live forever in her uh, in her fantasy uh setting um, but uh what you could do potentially is you take part one, which has all these gaps in it that need to be explained, and at the nearing the end of it, you sort of chop off a little bit of the ending and you could even use that shot of the blood you know going back into her nose save that cut that from the front use it at the end and as it comes back into her nose it starts this reversal of time and then we can start seeing the captain's story unfold uh in a backwards like sense leading up to the end to the beginning um i i had this this conceit that the all of the material that's in part two and i'm saying part two even though you could watch we, we watched it one and then two um is its own story but it could be used not in a completely different movie but like literally like a part two like you could do like uh like uh like tarantino have a part one and a part two maybe even a part three where you you have just the last 15 20 minutes of the movie in in a in whole where these two narratives sort of uh interlock um but what what these what this edit has is two movies that are independent of one another that needs the other's con- information to fill in the holes, but that don't end up complementing each other.
1: I uh, agree half. I I think this, I, I think this, I think that the captain's version holds does hold together on
2: its own, but completely agree in the inverse
0: direction. The uh, I, I, I want to watch the captain's version after I've been removed from this for a while because after have, watching it now after watching the original a couple days ago watching um, uh, the fairy, the Ophelia version and now the captain's version it's almost like it feels like the third time I've seen this movie and I'm losing some objectivity <laughs> Um, yeah
1: and losing some sense of was this actually explained in this one or am i just remembering it because i've seen
0: this scene four times in the last <laughs> <week>? <laughs> exactly um, but like for example what the, the thing that like a couple of things that make me challenge whether the captain story is yeah. as complete as uh uh as uh you're you're presenting is that there are a lot of the ophelia's ophelia as a character seems to be introduced like she's a big deal and then we barely see her again and then she gets killed at the end and it it seems um, uh, there's a part that seems missing like why are we she seems like she's the point of the movie but we don't spend a whole lot of time with her
2: yeah I think
1: I would have liked to not have the shot of her dead do you know what i mean? maybe yeah. about the captain killing a kid and not about this girl dying because i, I agree with you she's not a she's not a big character in, in the edit.
0: Yeah. The uh, yeah, in the part two and the in the captain's story the real thematic ending is uh he will die with his son not knowing his name. That's the end of the movie. Yeah, which is a kindness
1: cuz his son won't have anything to try to live up to or mm-hmm. emulate not not that the captain's a guy to do either of those things with but i think he'll be free of the problems that sort of plagued the captain mm-hmm. because we also don't know if his dad was actually a hero or a sadistic bastard that everybody in who was a fascist thought was a hero
0: well i think the uh, i think the film at least tries to convey that he was a uh, he was at least a noble he wasn't a, a sociopath you know a psychopath <laughs> At least we're hoping that because it seems like the other, like in the dinner table scene, one of the guys says he was, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, a brave person. But you're right; it it could be just, uh, you know, something to say over the dinner table. You know.
1: Yeah, and and that scene didn't really have any business being in the Ophelia edit, other than it sort of had to just set up the end.
2: But the rest of it
1: just played as like, I don't. This shouldn't be here
0: i i agree that's that's one of these things that it's creating like there's another scene like with him shaving uh you don't need that scene in the affiliate edit either
1: yeah brilliant scene but but yeah he it's not really about his motivations or they don't even touch on it at all so Mm -hmm. yeah i i agree the i guess the beginning of that scene it is interesting that the before they cut in tight to his face, you see these long shots moving like from a low vantage point, as if it's like a fairy flying around in the room at hmm. a distance. So I guess you could sort of tie it there, but it, yeah, it introduces more complexity to the captain, which, if you're not gonna pay off in a meaningful way, is unnecessary.
0: And also, if you're telling the story from Ophelia's point of view, Ophelia doesn't get to experience that that uh him in shaving so that's why i don't it shouldn't be there um i always struggle like with movies that start off with a character's point of view and sort of commit to like we're telling this this is this person's story and then all of a sudden we start getting scenes where they're not involved in it and uh it helps explain others characters but i would rather (laughs) i would rather things unfold with the character that we're following and if they're confused we're confused
1: yeah and by the way you mean literally starting from her point of view right isn't the i think the first shot is her looking at
0: the book exactly yeah um i think the uh uh it's it's this is a this is an interesting uh it's an interesting fan edit because in some sense it works in some sense it doesn't um uh, I was looking at his his other work here, not to get too far off topic, but this guy has done a lot of edits. I don't know if you've taken a look at his library.
1: Yeah, I think he's... Isn't he the guy who started the site?
0: Oh. I, uh, I,
1: I, th- I think he is. I, I know it's split off from original Trilogy.com in 2006. I won't go too long here, but yeah. there was like an old podcast posted in the fan edit forums I listened to one time. It was like back, back when we had a fan edit podcast, there were like five apps for download, and it was... Uh, Boone was either the host or on on a bunch of them with another guy, and so I th- I think he was either the guy who started the site or
2: ran the site for a few years.
0: Hmm. I I wonder if uh, if this was one of his earlier edits because, like, what you were saying, like, there's these massages that aren't quite there. Um, there's some audio transitions that uh, are a little disrupting in both the first Ophelia edit and the captain's edit. Um, I think there's
2: a lot more visual transitions that
0: bother me yeah, yeah uh they go in some sense they go hand in hand um
1: yeah, and stuff like subs flashing really quickly
0: like,
3: yeah Did the the, you... the, captain,
1: the captain one had far i think just one, but the affiliate I had like three or four times where I, you know I'm watching it with my wife, and it's like it's like a flash frame of a sub, and two like two of the times it was a relatively unimportant line, but one of them was. When when the, the the doctor says to the captain like yeah, how, how are you so sure it's a boy? And he's
0: he like, says don't, don't fuck, fuck with me. me. And it's
1: like that line is very important.
0: Yeah. Well, I I I I was about to say that line is not even in the Ophelia edit. Are you saying that it's there? It just was so quick that I missed it.
1: Yeah, it's a flash frame sub. Yeah.
0: Uh, ah. Yeah, yeah. I didn't I don't even know, know if that's there. the right
1: term, but because it, it probably wasn't one frame, but it was probably like just two, three frames. It was like a boop, boop, and yeah, no, I. I went, I went back because my wife was like, what do you say? I was like, well, that's a pretty important one, so <laughs> let me <Yeah>. tell you.
0: <laughs> I, no, I missed it, and uh, uh, that's interesting. Um, hmm. uh, another thing that's kind of interesting or curious is that the subtitles in this are not legitimate subtitles. They're actually part of the video itself. Um, oh, you mean hard-coded? Yeah, hard-coded into the video print. So when I first hit p- play, I was like, oh no, I was checking for the subtitle track. I was like, it's not there, oh no, it's going to be in spe- Oh, wait, that's weird. <laughs> okay,
1: maybe you could, if you'll indulge me on a quick tangent. Mm. So I've never really, I've never edited with subtitles. Mm-hmm. I don't actually, i watch some subtitled real movies, but I, I've never understood sort of why it matters. Like I understand what the difference is being hard coded or not. I don't understand what the difference is. To, you know, like why do people care one way or the other? How does it affect anything? You know what I mean? Because if you're just watching it, does it does it matter?
0: Well, it seems to
1: matter to people because I often people are these hard coded? Are they not? I mean, and is that just so they can change them out? I, I guess what's the point?
0: I think of not th- doing that. I think that's the point is that you can turn them off and on. You can change between German and French and English. Um, that there's options there, whereas it's hard-coded. There's no options. Also, gotcha.
1: The... Uh, oh, sorry. I I, just, this, the I subs just... themselves, I didn't like the font. I yeah. can't stand putting two people's lines of dialogue without separating, like, putting it on a new line. Yeah. Just separating it by a hash. It's mm-hmm. usually clear who's saying what, but there yeah. was a particular back and forth with the fawn and being when he's like you're out like you know fuck you you're fired yeah like the 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 dialogue back and forth is like well either one of them could have said that like it just i don't know and i didn't care for the font i understand having to do it yourself because when you're changing things you can't just obviously use the theatrical ones but Mm -hmm. it was off-putting and i hate to register this as a complaint but if you're doing something subtitled in English, and it's not your first language, you've got to run it by somebody, because it will just occasionally sound awkward.
3: Hmm. And, um,
1: uh, and it did here. There were a couple points where it's like, there's a word missing, and I kn- I'm a, a little familiar with other languages, and I'm like, yeah, I get, I get why. Mm-hmm. Because that's how you would translate what it, how it's said in other languages, but... As a native English speaker, there were just a couple moments where it was like, mm, it's, it's awkward wording and you don't want to take anybody out for a second. So, you know, again, I don't want to criticize anybody's language skills, but if you're going to do something in English, I think, I think you, you should,
0: you got to run it by a native speaker. Yeah. It's interesting that we're, uh, that we, we are, are fixating, or I don't know if fixating is the right word, but for you and me, like it's little things like this that that really uh that we really latch on to and um, it's it's tempting to say come on you re-edited an entire movie that's you're you're such it's a nitpicking complaint etc., etc." Uh well one of the hardest things about doing a proper fan edit is presenting what you're done w- when it's finished is presenting something that could have been released looks like it could have been released or it's something that is is, is it, where it's f- where you cut something out or change something doesn't tell doesn't tell the audience that you did something like that. Um, yeah, you don't want them thinking that. You, yeah, you, you never
1: you never want them to, to, to feel that way. And and let's also be clear. I, I don't know about you, but for me, like it's not like this thing was technically awful. It just had a a bunch of issues like it's not like this should i think this should be removed from listing or anything like that no of course not as an editor myself like you strive for such cleanliness and you strive to make it look as professional as possible so i think these things
2: are worth talking
0: about um yeah and i think that the community that the uh, fanedit.org community is you know able retentive on a lot of these things
2: Um, (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) but in, in the most positive sense of the word um I, I remember I, I got a feedback on my uh, edit of Oblivion where somebody says, "Oh man, there was this hard edit in the middle of this action sequence that's totally distracting," and I was like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" And I go back and I check, and I was like, "I didn't touch it at all. It is exactly <laughs> like it is in the movie." And I got, I was like, really defensive, like, "What the fuck, dude?" <laughs> But... Yeah, I know, because it's like, look, man, you
1: criticize anything I did, but, like, the blame the pro editor <laughs> on that. Like, obviously the goal is to, like, if you don't need to touch something. I mean, I very rarely have been like, I need to fix this, you know what I mean, just on a because I didn't like the way it was done, you know, Ooh. an edit or something. Because professional editors generally know what the fuck they're doing. Yeah. But, but when you're watching fan edits, you're sort of conditioned to pick out everything that stands out to your head, and or in your head, and mm-hmm. that's fair. But yeah, occasionally, I I just had a review on my Turing test edit, and the guy was like, this video looks a little soft, and I, you know, I sent a message, I, I'm not a defensive dick, I can take criticism, because it's mm-hmm. usually due, but I was like, so can you explain what you mean? Because like, I was like, I want to know if it's something I did and where, because the film itself is shot in very soft lighting and with a, with a nice soft lens, and this credit dude went back and was like yep you know what went back and watched the source and your yours is actually just like it so uh, it, ha- it happens anything yeah. that stands out to you you sort of want to point out because they always sound negative but like if someone's reviewing something of mine i'm like i want you to point out everything that stood out to you as anything that took you out of it like that's what i want you know yeah. what I'm saying awesome is like you feel good for a second but it's not it's not actually incredibly helpful
0: yes it's not and i i i uh i, I take those critiques because like you every once in a while somebody will point something out that you yourself didn't actually see and it's totally worthy uh um to go back and you know crack open the the edit and, and poll and give it those last little polishes that you get from the that feedback process
1: yeah i mean as a whole previewing i wish it happened more I understand people's tendency to, well, I'll just wait till it's final. But, you know, nobody likes when somebody puts out a version 2 a week later. But it's like, well, look, if no one else watched it, you can watch something 15 times.
0: And miss it every time.
1: It's it's the phenomenon of why most car accidents happen within a mile of a person's house. Hmm. Right? So I actually got in a pretty bad accident a couple years ago turning out of my street and I turned in front of like a speeding F three fifty at night with its headlights on. Oh my gosh. Like, and, and the road and the road is not that curved. And I couldn't figure out and it like it seemed to come out of nowhere. You know what I mean? Like I looked, it was fine. And so afterwards, sort of digging into this and it turns out your brain is kind
3: of an a hole. It's kind of lazy. <laughs> and like if you see the same thing you've seen a hundred times, mm. your brain just sort of
1: puts the image it'll just play a replay of a previous thing like essentially mm-hmm. i mean that's oversimplification but like so you glance and your brain is just sort of like yeah it probably looks like it always does so here's this i'm gonna take a breather and focus on something else and then it appears as if somebody comes out of nowhere even if it's at night with bright headlights and i think it happens with edits you know mm-hmm. the criticism i hate the most is like well, why didn't this dude watch it himself before he put it out because it's how do you not see that flash frame and i was like man I've watched something twelve times, and somebody points out something. And I'm like, "Oh fuck!" And then, and then you fix it. And mm-hmm. it's like, "Well, if you
0: need second eyes, you just need yeah. them." Yeah, um, yeah, totally. And uh, I I don't know if this edit um, got that. I don't know what his uh, what CBB or Boone's. Uh, um, Uh, predilections are and that's why i mentioned that he is he's very prolific there's tons of edits here and i was just getting this once i saw the the list of things that he's done there's a part of me that kind of went "Mm, i wonder if uh this is kind of one Mm -hmm. of those uh, quantity over quality things
2: yeah well and to be honest i I went
1: through too because i was like yeah i was like i've known this dude's name forever i'm sure i've seen a a shitload of them and i looked and i was like yeah these are there are a whole bunch of these that like Aren't online or available anymore that I had an interest in seeing, but I think I'd only seen like one of the 27 or yeah. many what it was. So I, I don't really know. And there's also a part of it where when this stuff was new, you know, it was just nobody was as good. Yeah. So, so like a fade up, a fade, you know, fade to black, fade up from black,
3: right? Which mm-hmm. happened
1: a couple times. Yeah. That was, I think. I think I don't know. I wasn't around on the site back then, but like it's. I think that would have been a lot more acceptable in 2007.
0: Right. Whereas now, like people are so
1: freaking good. That <laughs> if you do anything like that, you're like that doesn't look like
0: a real movie. Like you know. You yeah. Can, you
1: can so very rarely even use that because it looks clumsy, and I think it sort of goes to the way new people watch fan edits. I think when it was all sort of starting out, it was a lot more forgiving on things, and not that people weren't talented, but. The software wasn't as good and mm. after fan edits have been around for 10 years people just have a, a, a higher quality
2: expectation
0: we yeah because good is yeah. good and natural and people are releasing better and better stuff and it creates these new bars of quality that other people have to kind of uh stick to otherwise you will get the, the feedback like the like some of the the black like you said the fade to blacks and i noticed them particularly in the affiliate edit and it's um, some of the audio transitions, etc. Yeah. And the time
1: jumps, you know, where it's like, okay, well, that's where that was gone. But now it's raining and they're
2: outside. Yeah. And it, why? So, yeah, it
1: happens. And I know we, we sound really critical. Yeah. I think, this, I think this is enjoyable. And I also think that it, if your biggest criticism of a fan edit is it doesn't work without knowledge of the source, that's a legitimate criticism and Mm -hmm. you should strive to not have that Mm -hmm. but it's not like that's not a valuable thing you know what i mean i love pan's labyrinth and i know it inside and out so Mm -hmm. if i want to just kind of watch that part of it i could pop this on and not be bothered by the narrative issues like it's not it's not that it doesn't work it's just you know I, i think not what we should strive for Maybe we can go talk about the captain's head a little more now because I, I feel like I'm I've got a lot more good
0: things to say. Go ahead. About. Go ahead, jump into it. Well, so from our discussion earlier, I think it's probably clear
1: um that the captain as a character had a lot of resonance with me. Mm-hmm. A- and I felt like well, I felt like on a technical level I had far less issues. I had I think one flash sub, um, maybe one or two awkward transitions as mm-hmm. opposed to a handful in the other one. Mm-hmm. But but narratively, it hung together, and it, it did seem to me to just sort of focus on the themes of heroism
3: mm-hmm. that we,
1: I talked about before, mm-hmm. and then Obedience kind of out of the picture, but I think it did mm-hmm. a good job of making those work, at least for, for me. And it makes the ending resonate so much better. Thank God there's a shot where the captain sees her talking to no one yeah, in the movie. Yeah. Or, else, or else the ending would not work in any way without <laughs> rotoscoping, and I don't think anyone was doing that back then. Yeah. Hell, I can't do it now, so yeah. <laughs> I'm not judging.
0: Yeah, I still want to figure my figure that out myself.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I, I I felt like it was it took half of the themes in the film and and portrayed them well and made them work. Whereas mm-hmm. maybe the Ophelia took the other half and without a sort of narrative hanging together as it should, it didn't really work nearly as well for me.
0: Uh, the, the captain's storyline is... Um, it's, he, he is, in some sense, he's sort of like a really great movie villain. Um, his introduction, I mean, the very first time we see him is him, him complaining about the time Using a watch that he got from his grandfather. So, like, there's already that, even that's, that little moment is sort of painted in context as we learn more about him. And, and, when, and
2: as soon as he meets them, we immediately
0: get so much about
1: his character from oh. just that. The, the watch, the time, forcing the mother to, into the wheelchair when she didn't want to, and admonishing Ophelia. Like, yeah. so much right there in 20 seconds.
0: Exactly and 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 then it and then it amps it up uh, the the scene where he kills that kid with the wine bottle is so intense and so grotesque and so um, so, so violent and brutal, and his demeanor when he does it is completely calm and detached from what he's doing um, that it, it sets up that this guy well now we know why everybody obeys him if you will
1: Yeah, he doesn't even look he's not even upset the only thing he's upset about is when he his guy finds the rabbit because he's like I'm upset you wasted my time and this wasn't a righteous kill you know he wasn't upset at all about actually murdering a dude mm-hmm,
3: mm-hmm. and
1: I've got a, a funny funny quick funny personal story about that scene uh, a buddy of mine I was talking about with this movie because I rewatched the theatrical cut a couple of days ago and we are hanging out just talking about it. And I was like, hey, mm-hmm. Steve, have you seen it? And he's like, he saw it once in the theater or shortly after, but back in 2006.
3: Yeah. On a fair amount of drugs. Okay.
1: And, and the reason I bring this up is because he's like, he didn't remember anything about the movie.
3: Hmm.
1: But he said, that's the movie with, where the guy pistol whips the kid. And when I say he didn't remember the rest, I meant that is a brutal scene. But, and then I was like, what about the pale man? Like he didn't even remember the pale man, huh. which means you had to be really fucked up. Like, <laughs> that, that haunted my, my nightmares uh-huh. almost. Uh-huh. But, but, but I guess what I'm trying to say is that scene is so brutal that that's literally the only scene from the movie that's stuck in his memory. Yeah. Of, of him just pistol whipping the kid to death
0: well it's it's he's not even a pistol whipping he's using the the wine bottle
2: oh yeah yeah true true
0: yeah. Sorry. so um and it's so um that it paints that character like and 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 all good villains, in in some sense, like if you start off with that threatening or have that threatening thing initialized at the beginning. Then that's just it. Then you don't have to do it for half for the whole movie. It's it's always there, uh, uh, you know, lurking, you know, under all the motivations and interactions with the character. Um, yeah, that's two scenes with the captain right there, and
1: I, he already has more flavor and nuance than most villains, and he's mm-hmm. already clearly established as a bad bad man. And that's before he even gets into his torture speech.
0: <laughs> right, and uh, that's that's the thing. Like, uh, you know, the first time he gives the the speech, you're like, wow, he's got away with words. But then he does it again, and it's like, oh, well, that gives context, because he's probably given the speech 10, 20 times. How many people has he tortured? I think, I think
1: that's tortured? a generous reading of the number. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel it, like it was triple
0: that, probably. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Um, the, uh, well, see, this is I'm kind of, I'm going to push back a little bit because like you're, you're presenting this, uh, this character as, um, somebody who's, who's not like this evil incarnate kind of person, but the film seems to uh, characterize him as somebody who is sociopathic and psychopathic that, um, to say that it's not, it's, 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 it's more that he has these. You know, you know, father-son complexes that are out of whack. It's, or you know, being a you know a, an embodiment of fascistic uh, regimes. It, there's something much more cruel and uh, and sadistic and evil that I think he is. Uh, that he brings. That he, that his character is or symbolizes. Yeah,
1: and that that's a fair pushback. I guess maybe I didn't maybe I didn't articulate this clearly. He is evil. I just meant he's he's not he's not pure evil for no reason and I, and I also meant that like he is a sociopathic sadist and I guess what I take from the from the film both as added in the theatrical cut is that he is sadistic because he was he was he was born to from the time he was born he was taught to glorify
3: mm. violence mm.
1: in a heroic way and he tries mm. he you know he only. He does it to people that I think he really thinks are wrong, but I also think he, on some level, recognizes that it's not good, or at least not a healthy way to be, because the, the you know it's no accident they have the, the sort of quasi-suicidal scene in there. I, well, so I that's guess me, me, me characterizing where it came from. I wasn't trying to say that he was not all of those things. Yeah. But I I think it comes from a place of, you're taught to revere violence. In a heroic way, and when there is no violence in a heroic way, you just do the violence part. Hmm. And then you're frustrated
0: that it's not heroic.
3: Hmm. I guess that's Uh, what I'm trying to say. Um.
0: I think the movie... Let let me ask you this, actually, before I get too far afield. I want to ask, do you get anything out of the... um, Uh, do you see anything different with that character or or any of the characters in that story in the uh, fan edit version of that story than you did in the original?
1: No, I don't. I I, I get the same things out of, you know, less characters. Yeah. But yeah, it it doesn't present anything in a new way. I also don't feel like I lost anything regarding those things and the captain and and all of that. But no, I didn't get anything. I didn't get anything alternative. I, j- I got I got sort of just that, minus the the stuff we learned from Ophelia's story.
0: Yeah, I'm wondering if there isn't a way to um, to present the material in a way that you do feel like you learn something different about him. Um, I don't. I'm I'm just kind of thinking because like that one scene where he is shaving and he you know he moves the razor across the mirror of his neck the reflection of his neck that scene is basically the only scene that sort of gives him any kind of hint that he's self-loathing and uh maybe saving that moment or finding another place for it or removing it how would that affect his character
1: oh see that's interesting because my thought when you when you started saying that was put that up put that in the beginning and sort of have that set the set the tone and inform everything else you see wow <laughs> and, and yeah you're sort of going the complete opposite
0: way with, well, I think, well bo- I think both would change things yeah like if that was the presenting how we're presented with him then you do get a sense that maybe there are these underlying reasons that on what we see on the surface is not really who he is like there is this deeper thing and uh but maybe that would and then that might create a theme that the ends to the means uh, the means to an end matter you know?
2: Yeah, yeah. I
1: th- I think it would it would be it, it, yeah. My my thought when I was when I was rewatching these was one of like like when it first started, I would just said like, man, I wish someone would redo this in HD because I'm a quality. Yeah, star. yeah, yeah. No, I, I I feel
0: the same way. This was a and DVD. The theatrical is so great, and the yeah. colors look so vibrant. It's a yes.
1: beautiful, beautiful Blu-ray transfer. Uh-huh. And. So I was like, man, I wish someone would do this in HD. And then I was just like, man, I feel like, I feel like watching this and it's, and it's interesting work. And he clearly put a lot of time into it. Mm -hmm. I was, I just thought like, I'd like to do something else with this
0: movie. I was thinking the same thing.
1: 20 ideas that I've, you know, that
2: I have and won't Uh, grab the time for.
0: (laughs) I, 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 you know what? I do have the, the same thing where you have like a queue of things that you'll get to when you want to get to it. And, um my and you know kind of touchstone back on what i said before like um the the affiliate story um it can be told without the 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 narrative of the of the of the command of the of the captain because as a child she's oblivious to it you know she's just kind of going through her thing now what she experiences in the world sort of affects how she imagines you know the uh uh, the the fantasy setting, so there is a play there. But in some sense, people are interacting with her that she she doesn't know the context for it. She's off, kind of doing her own thing, and so you could tell that story of Ophelia. And then when you give context to those scenes, um, with you know going back and kind of presenting uh, you know the other narrative that's going on, I think there is an a room to 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 tell uh to tell the story in a different way similar to what he presented in two parts maybe three and um and you'd probably at the end of the day you'd probably have this is the this is the problem. Even if you did edit it like I'm thinking and have it successful in three different parts and, you know, resequence it and it's an interesting, you know, way of piecing everything together, you probably will watch it at the end of it and go, you know what would be good is if we intercut between the two narratives and just splice it out, <laughs> <by>, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, the
1: juxtaposition would really make this them dramatically pop and then you just pop on your Blu-ray. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, I, I honestly think that if, if I were to do something with it, it wouldn't be using everything because there's there, there's no way that I can reorder it. I mean, there is, like you mentioned, but there's no way I can reorder it that is going to be superior. And I, you know, I hesitate to use that word, but there's yeah. no way that, that I'd even you know have any interest in it when the theatrical cut exists and is pretty mm-hmm. much perfect. Yeah. But I think there's room to tell us to tell a smaller story, and it doesn't have to be just one or the other you know like something like and i'm not sure if this is sort of what you were saying or not but like if you just did ophelia's stuff almost like all up front loaded with zero context and then within so within one sort of film that's maybe an hour and 20 minutes 30 minutes and then you go back and fill in the gaps with the real world parallels you know what though i probably just rather watch the theatrical cut <laughs> <laughs> No matter how I'm slicing this up in my head, it's such an interesting movie with distinct parts that i like, I'd like to do something. But I can't think of anything that would
0: really be okay. okay let, me, worthwhile. let me let me give you a few moments mm-hmm. a- as kind of kind of highlight where I'm going with this. Okay, in the Ophelia cut, uh, one of the things is that we see is Mercedes gets uh, is talking to the captain. The captain hands him the rap hands her the rabbit and says, "Go cook this for me." Now, in the affiliate cut, that doesn't mean anything. Um, it's just the dead rabbit. He wants it for stew, whatever. And to Mercedes's point of view, that's exactly what it means. He gives her a rabbit. She's going to go cook it for stew. But if you were to follow that scene uh, later in the movie as you're watching it and do a chronological, you know, you shoot back in time. And we see what preceded that with him, you know, brutally murdering those people and then finding out they had the rabbit. And then all you have to do is show the first like five seconds of that scene of him saying, hey, I want you to cook this rabbit for stew. And then you stop. Your brain is going to know, oh, my gosh, I know what happened after that. But now I have context for it. And um, the advantage of doing that kind of edit is that the first time around we experience it like Mercedes does. And in the second time around, we experience it like the captain does, whereas in the theatrical cut, we only sort of get this sort of ominous narrative point of view. Oh, I love that. I,
1: I you know, I, I love that idea. It, it'd be it'd be really interesting if the captain seems like a rational person, mm-hmm. you know, for a while, and like something like that happens, and then later on, like, where's the doctor? And you know what I mean? Then you go back and fill in, like, oh, this dude's crazy, sadistic shit has been driving everything we've been seeing. I don't know how possible that is, but it's a really interesting idea
0: to me. Yeah, and 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 there were some other things when I was watching the Ophelia cut where I saw moments, opportunities like that. For example, another one is that um, when he, later in the film, he catches up with Ophelia and it's after he's been stabbed and whatnot by, um, by Mercedes. And so he's got that, the badge on his mouth. He's already done like the oral surgery thing. He's got the, the thing on his mouth. He's all bloodied yeah, up. Not explained at all. Well, in the, in the Ophelia edit, you get a sense that, oh, you know what? He, there's the, the, the base is under attack. And so he must have gotten <laughs> shot or oh in the attack. And That's what my
1: wife said. But nobody, nobody fights in a war you 're not going to get your face sliced that's I know clo- that's close quarters Carmen. well, we could
0: say that uh, there was shrapnel or something you know piece yeah, of wood. True. yeah, true, but uh, the point is is that when Ophelia sees him, she doesn't know that he got stabbed, she doesn 't know that he went through all the stuff all he see, all she sees is this guy's all bloodied and bruised, and so in the Ophelia edit, we see it from her perspective, and there's kind of like a what 's going on kind of thing. And then, if you were to go back, like I said, and fill in that chronological moment that happened earlier, um, then you would get the context for it. and there's opportun- I saw opportunities for doing something like that, and that's why I was really excited to think, "Oh my gosh, that's where this movie's going, And part two is going to be this you know this uh, bringing it all together kind of thing, but it wasn't, you know and yeah. which, which like, made... that would be a true part two. rather yeah. than sort of two separate exactly exactly so that's that's that movie that i'm describing in my head how that would play out that's the one i'm putting in the queue for that that's you know, interesting 15 I like years that. from now when i get down to it <laughs> and you know my
1: biggest problem with that scene wasn't like why does that why is that dude's face cut my biggest problem with that scene is the fawn says the door is locked and in the ophelia edit That doesn't mean Ophelia's door, because we didn't see her try to escape with Mercedes, right? So it's it's it actually works as the door where the baby is is locked, and so the Fawn says, you know, draw a door, and hands her the chalk. Ooh. And then she's in the room, no chalk. We never see any chalk. And like in the theatrical cut, they don't show her draw the door, but she's in the room with the chalk. If you'll recall, she's sort of. She's hiding behind the table and the chalk is on is
0: oh, it's she, on the wall. She sets
1: it on the t- she sets it on the table and the captain like grabs the chalk.
0: Right. And it walks around the table and, looks and She's hiding and she's in there. front of them. Yeah.
1: Yeah, in this one it just sort of she's in the room and
0: then she's grabbing the baby. The baby. I, I mean, I I
1: guess it's there. I just was a little
0: bugged by No, no, no. Both like, the actually chalk should exist near her. Actually <laughs> both, both versions are, are wrong. It to get it both versions uh and in, in, in uh, this edit both versions have cut out the him with her and the chalk and the baby and him her hiding in front of the desk that's all missing in both edits
1: yeah oh yeah, sorry i was comparing to the theatrical not
2: yeah to the, not to the
1: other edit yeah you're right and yeah, I, it's not a huge problem, but that combined with the face, and, and I mean, my wife said what you said, which is like, well, there's a war going on, and maybe it's just like me sort of specifically being like, all right, well, maybe that works for you,
2: but I've been in plenty <laughs> of
1: firefights and never like
0: a facial, <laughs> n- never like a ja-
1: Michael Jackson thriller knife fight. Because if somebody gets that, cl- that close to you in war, like shit has gone
0: wrong. Yeah. Um. So that's why I felt like, and uh, that the the movie has these gaps. And uh, and it needs material from the other one to fill those gaps in. Um, and uh, uh, that's another reason why I re-described this thing, is each one needs material from the other, but they don't necessarily complement one another because they're independent pieces.
1: Yeah, and um, also, did you notice a super weird zoom? Uh <laughs> So like like you said, the chalk is gone from both versions. In the captain's edit, there's still the shot where he looks, where he sort of leans over the table, but it's it's cropped to not have the chalk in frame. Oh really? But instead of just being a pure crop, it looks like he turned it into like a, a zoom and. This gets into, like, sometimes people create really interesting things in fan edits, but Uh to me, if you created an interesting effect, but it's really only 70% as good as it would be in a theatrical version, you're better off not using it than using
0: it. Right. Anything that touches... I I, I personally, for whatever reason, wasn't uh, affected by it. I I just watched it, whatever. But, you know, for people with a sharp eye, those are dangerous kind of choices, um, for the For the reasons that we talked about before, because like the worst thing you can do is make an edit that makes everybody think that was an edit
2: yeah
1: yeah and 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 believe me some some people do amazing effects work
0: oh
2: yeah
1: other other people do really good effects work that even when it's really good, it still looks mm, just a little out of place if yeah. that makes sense yeah. And, I'm really not trying to hate because I don't do any effect. fucking effects yeah, whatsoever. Either. So I'm not hating. And I, I can appreciate how hard all that is. I just feel like if you can't make it look as good as people with a million dollars in the studio, like you, 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 you gotta find some other way to do it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, and and that's
1: that's a that's a real big point to make about a stupid little one second zoom. But, <laughs> <you know. laughs>
0: Uh, well, it's indicative of other things that we see in uh, in other edits. Uh,
1: yeah, well, I, well, the reason I texted you before I said this is interesting was because, you know, having rewatched these after a few years, I, I definitely saw them in a new light, but I also thought it'd be interesting because there's not as much to talk about thematically, cause, but there's the interesting part of the, the most of the conversation we've been having is sort of how people view edits as a whole and how edits relate to the theatrical versions and i i knew that'd be an interesting conversation to have
0: and this one does more than most in so far as it's trying to create a new new kind of experience altogether and not just do some nips and tucks and uh to that end this is a successful edit um, there are two different stories here. There are two different movies here, and um, you can show them out of order. I think you could watch the Captain's one before Ophelia and vice versa. Um, yeah, they're they're separate. Uh, yeah. This this would be a very interesting project, I think. To if you could ever, it's dangerous in some sense, but it'd be you know because you want somebody to be able to fully experience Pan's Labyrinth for what it is. But if you could find somebody who's never seen it and show them just one of these parts. How their reaction would be. I would really like to f- get some feedback or what. Hear hear that experience. Well, I
1: I had half that experience. Um, my wife watched one with me. She's seen the film and really liked it, but she saw it in the theater and not since. Uh, so it was sort of pure because she didn't have a great memory of specifics, except that when she started watching it, the specifics came back because she has a memory that's
2: better than my own. Like, yeah. I can't remember shit from like a year ago.
1: <laughs> so it was sort of that way, but not 100%. And there were times when she was like, huh? What? I don't why did they get there and then I was like oh remember this and you know and then she's like oh yeah 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 that happened you know so it was I'd say from someone who is somewhat pure that there were definitely some logical gaps that that brought up out questions and this was the Ophelia edit
0: yeah yeah yeah. well uh, I think it's time to uh, get this uh, wrapped up so to say Um, so that was Boone23 or aka CCB's uh, fan edit of Pan's Labyrinth it's called Two Exits, uh, two Exits from Pan's Labyrinth um, within that f- fan edit there's two different movies and they have their own independent movies but if you're looking for the movie that contains the double feature it's uh, Two Exits from fan- Pan's Labyrinth and uh, we're, we're both giving a thumbs up uh, you should give it, a, give it a check go check it out um, it's not perfect or flawless but no, very few edits would be in that camp as well it's an
1: interesting alternate experience. Um,
0: absolutely, absolutely. Um, and uh, there you have it, uh, Rory the Cuddly Ninja. Thank you for joining me.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. Always, always fun to talk movies with you.
0: All right, buddy. Um, so we're going to sign out, and uh, we will talk at you
2: later. Thank you, everybody, for listening. <laughs>